This is Kyle Hartung from Jobs for the Future, or JFF, and this is the Building Equitable Pathways podcast. In this series, leaders from across the country working at the intersection of K-12 education, post-secondary education and training, and workforce development will share their insights and perspectives grounded in practice to shed light on the why and the how of identifying and dismantling inequitable structural and systemic barriers to improve educational and career outcomes for youth. Previously in this series, we discussed racial equity work and what it looks like to convene partners and support equitable change in the education to career ecosystem. One part of that work is about unpacking narratives that influence how and why our systems operate the way they do. Another part of that work is about creating new narratives through the work we actually do. One way to dispel or create narratives is through how we build approaches to leverage data so we can better understand the dynamics of student experience and the education and labor market ecosystems they are navigating. So this is about storytelling. And in this episode, we will explore the stories that data tell and how they can inform our work to build equitable systems. To help us do that, I am joined today by two thoughtful leaders who have spent their careers thinking critically about these issues. Hi, this is Derek Nino. I'm an Associate Director at JFF, Jobs for the Future. I am Kate Swinburne. I'm the co-founder and president of YouthForce NOLA, which serves as the career-connected learning intermediary for the city of New Orleans. Our community of practice is fortunate to have you as partners and leaders in our work, and I'm excited to talk with you both today to help us frame a conversation about data practice and its relationship to building equitable pathways systems. Kate, I'd like to start with you, and before we dive into this topic more deeply, you've been at this work for a long time and in a variety of roles over your career. What in your prior work and experience brings you to this conversation and excites you about this work that we're doing? So I, start, I started my career as a first grade teacher and then went on to take district leadership roles in New York City and in D.C. And uh, my last role in D.C., I was the chief of data and accountability. And so then prior to founding YouthForce, served as a planning consultant to a set of organizations. I'm excited to be here today, you know, just because, because data, I don't know, I feel like I should be wearing a t-shirt, like data our life, data our life, you know, data fuels, data fuels life. Maybe that's it. We can get some swag. Hey, I love, I love good swag. Derek, what about you? Why, why this work in this conversation now? And, and at a high level, like, what, why do you think we should care about data and infrastructure if we care about equity? I'm starting to hear where narratives and in some of the research I'm doing with Latinx community, I identify as a Mexican male, dad's Mexican, mom's Croatian, both are English learners. In the Latinx community, I'm hearing more about testimonies that are really talking about, I guess, qualitative data. And I don't think we need to hear the stories. We need to hear the narratives. We need to understand what's happening in communities, in homes, within families, and how sometimes a good number, we don't know what's behind that number. To Kate, to go back to you, what are some of the dominant narratives that you've heard over your career and and right now about students and about education and about employers or the world of work like, what are the narratives that are influencing the work that you're doing at YouthForce NOLA and how you approach achieving impact? One of the biggest narratives that YouthForce still is combating, I feel like, is a narrative I heard as a stereotype about my first-year teaching cohort. You know, that was like, kids these days, you know, are just like, 
new teachers these days, but it's just sort of this, there's this perception often from the older generation that the incoming generation, the newer, the younger generation don't know how things are supposed to work, you know, have no persistence, have no motivation, et cetera. And so certainly one major strand of Youth Force's counter-narrative work needs to be yeah, kids these days are awesome. Uh, kids these days are talented. They're curious. They're uh, collaborative. They love to solve problems. And I think, you know, as we chart the path coming out of the pandemic or sort of living with a pandemic, I think we also layer in um, kids these days are more hungry than ever for school to be engaging and relevant and prepare them for the real world. I think the other narrative, just like business people are inflexible or business people don't care about inclusivity and or don't care about working with their communities. And, you know, I think that is a big place where youth force also plays a role in that, you know, we sit at the intersection or our job is to be the convener and connector of business with educators, with training partners, and of course, with young people, centering young people and all of it. And the truth is, is business people, yeah, they want to be successful. They want to pay the bills. Nobody goes into business to host a 17-year-old in their workplace. But but business people also want a talented, connected, collaborative, inclusive, diverse workplace. Sometimes some of our work is actually humanizing businesses and humanizing employers as, you know, just they're doing their job and our job is to help them do their job better. Do you find it's harder to help folks on the, for lack of a better term, on the education side, understand that narrative about employers? Or do you find the employer side to be harder to understand the side that is coming from the education? It's why intermediaries need to exist. They all speak very different languages. They are managed to different outcomes. They work on different calendars. They work on different schedules. I mean, one thing that struck me when we founded Youth Force was a business partner um, or a future business partner at the time of our founding being like, yeah, these edu- the educators, they'll call me at like 7.30 in the morning. I'm not in the office yet. And then I'll call them back at 10.30 and they're on their lunch break. You know, I mean, like literally different schedules. We eat meals, you know, they meals two hours apart a day. So, you know, so it's one where it's just, I, th- I think it goes both ways. All to say, I think it goes both ways, which is just, you know, helping folks sort of see and understand um, how these other partners operate and really find commonality in a commitment to New Orleans and in a commitment to excellence and in a commitment to, you know, the prosperity of our young people and the prosperity of our region. You know, this makes me think to Derek about, in your recent blog post, you you talked about curiosity and about centering people in our data practices. And I hear, Kate, in your words, this, this idea of centering people. You know, and Derek, you talked about the ways that we interact with people to collect and use data is as important as the what of the data itself. And you mentioned in that piece the importance of taking a do-with approach rather than a do-to approach. So what do you mean by this, Derek, and and what does that look like in in practice? The do-to or the do-for approach, I think, is something of a conversation that's had at a different level. Those that have the means, the power, the privilege to be able to do observations, to do research, and I think it's a communication. I, one of the things that was, um, the pieces that was inspiration for that blog was project evidence, actual evidence framework. And what was interesting in there is they actually call out the, the actors. They talk about researchers, funders, community-based organizations, practitioners. They also talk about how in doing the research and in funding the research, what I think is very, very important, there could be this drive to take to market very quickly 
we did the research. This is what we found. We put it in a peer-reviewed journal, and it just stays at this particular inversion layer right above where it actually would get down into classrooms and into communities to actually be actionable, to be used for, for positive change. How do the data connect people? How do they actually get at um, the researchers, back to what Kate was talking about, employers, how does it get to the community? So they're all working in synergy to go toward the same thing. And I also think that sometimes the data can be done in a particular way depending upon the audience. So they could be conveyed and say like, wow, isn't it awesome that we increased, say, graduation rates by 10 percentage points? Well, if those, that graduation rate started at 43%, going up 53%, and there's still work to be done. So I think that the numbers, I think the people that are doing the data, I think what's getting out there in terms of some of these statistics that we see, that's really, really important. But I think that if we don't have a sense of the feel and we have an opportunity to actually empower the people that we're talking about to actually take action themselves, I think we're missing an opportunity. Kate, with that in mind, and especially this idea of the intersection of education and workforce and em- employers and community-based organizations that you're at the center of, with this whole frame that Derek put out there, what does an intermediary organization like Youth Force NOLA, like how do you use data to focus your efforts to build toward equity in your system in the ways that Derek is talking about here? At our founding, uh, we were looking at quantitative data that, that are showing us that, you know, yes, our young people are more prepared than ever in terms of traditional academic terms, yet we were seeing a significant number of young people who were not persisting through college and or who were stopping out. And so that led us to then conversations with young people, which was, how are you doing? And, and this was really kind of cyclical. How are you doing? What do you need? More data are unearthed and so on. And our young people are telling us, I switched majors so many times, I lost my Pell Grant. We're seeing and hearing data relative to our young people, and we're hearing directly from our young people. And so one needs to really, I, you know, I love Derek's point around the testimonials. You know, it's, you're listening to your young people, and you are considering hearing people, and then that's driving you to unearth additional data. So we at Youth Force have a sort of an ongoing set of expectations for ourselves and just sort of sort of processes around youth focus groups, youth ambassadors of young people who have participated in the internship program, and then I've done a decent amount of work with our educator partners, our schools, to set an expectation that they are doing youth focus groups and youth surveys. With that, then back to some of our founding data, that there then also were was you know regional labor market data, uh, both around needs uh, for skilled talent, as well as massive inequities. Uh, in particular, in New Orleans, we had massive economic and education and workforce equity gaps between white New Orleanians and black New Orleanians. So that those data were brought to us by our partners at the Urban League of Louisiana as a real focal point of, you know, we have got to look at these equity gaps and we have got to close these equity gaps. And then, of course, there's just, there's then with this, at, throughout implementation, there's, of course, a need to do progress monitoring. There's a need to do evaluation. And so with that, all kinds of data being gathered from our school partners um, through participants. You know, there are youth program surveys. There are completion numbers, you know, all levels of data that we're gathering and analyzing. And then again, you know, an expectation of, how, you know, doing after actions or, you know, just ongoing conversations to gather insights as to what worked and did what didn't work beyond, beyond those quantitative data. And I think, I think the final thing I want to share, you also got to be listening to your school partners, your educator partners. So Youth Force has a school leader advisory council 
who we convene uh, and meet with about every six weeks formally. And then there's informal mechanisms in between time. And we have a training provider advisory council who, again, uh, we're bringing together. So there are, and, and those groups are looking at system-wide data and results. Those groups are also looking at student focus group findings. So those groups are looking at the feedback from these other constituent groups, all in service of continuous improvement, shared understanding, um, and you know, ultimately movement toward you know, the big goals. The way you talk about this, you'd think that you could just flip a switch on and make all this happen. And I know that that's not true. Like, what kind of tenacity, skill, or will, or alchemy of those three things is required to have gotten you to the place where you are right now with that work? This is a human effort. Uh, You know, of course, at the center is our young people. Um, At the center is our young people and their futures. Uh, You know, but this work will advance, yes, based on data. Yes, grounded in data, but very much so on strong relationships and strong collaboration. So I think most folks know YouthForce was founded by a collaborative steering committee, 12 organizations cross-sector from across the city. And those organizations um, continue to be active at the YouthForce table. But early in the effort, we, set a, um, we established a set of values. We were going to make sure that our processes were equitable and that we had processes in place to listen to and collaborate with and advance efforts with partners. And so it's just it's just been sort of baked in then um, that that's how we're going to do it. One of our values is informed choice. And so you cannot drive toward informed choice with transparency, which is one of our other founding values, um, if you are not actively sitting at the table with those core partners and with those core stakeholders to, you know, continuously assess and evaluate and, and advance. You know, Derek, when you hear Kate talk about what, what's what been happening in New Orleans uh, up, up until this time, how does this resonate with how you're thinking about uh, the, the ways that we need to be building and delivering and evaluating pathway programs with your optics across multiple organizations and multiple contexts? If we're really going to center equity in both process and outcome, what are you hearing that we can take away from New Orleans and what might be different in other contexts that we need to consider? I think that the data can reveal where we are and it can also reveal where we aren't. And it wouldn't be great if from the beginning we had a very, very clear vision, direction, metrics for where we want to go. And to bring it forth a, a Yogi Bearism, uh, if we don't know where we're going, we might not get there. And so I think that the data helped to set a trajectory, but I think there's a lot of work in order for us to get to where we want to be as intermediaries and doing intermediary work and activating and, and enlisting everybody that's in our uh, respective ecosystems. I think probably what happens, and, and more often than not, is to evaluate what already exists and try to disrupt what is happening or what isn't happening or inspire something that isn't happening. And it makes me wonder about what role data, quantitative and qualitative, play in moving somebody off of the status quo. What should we be measuring? And how might we go about measuring that? And why is this so hard to get right? Like, what is in our way? If we really want to have a conversation about equity, what should we be measuring? And how should we go about measuring that? Part of this is we need to remember the charge of the Building Equitable Pathways initiative. We want to increase access for Black and Latinx youth and young people experiencing poverty to high-wage in-demand career pathways. Uh, there's a there's a thought that if we can do that, then we are setting the stage for a lifetime of opportunity. 
So I'm wondering what are the different things that we would want to measure that isn't that aren't happening. So one thing in terms of about a specific pathway, for instance, and and I know that there are certain pathways out there that are really, hey, this pathway engages our our youth. They get them into the classroom. They their intended their attendance is up. I would want to see whether or not the outcomes from that pathway actually lead to some of the increases in income, social capital, um, an opportunity for further education, part of a career lattice for advancement. What can I do in terms of joy? Social emotional learning and community readiness is also becoming something that I think is in vogue and being um, talked about. So I wonder if there are some metrics there. Well, so with that in mind, Kate, what what data do you track or look at or seek uh, or what what what's your data holy grail right now that would actually allow you to have a different kind of conversation about equity in your system what are you looking at and, and how are you going about getting it i think it's really important that we always explicitly acknowledge the historical inequities of the predecessor of career pathways programs which is votech uh and and in the youth force uh community we call it you know big bad old school votech uh, whereby, you know, young people on entering high school uh, were tracked toward different outcomes uh, based on the color of their skin or based on their family's economic realities. And so it is just all the more important uh, that all of us consider and, and lay out that this work we're doing is about breaking the status quo and is about overcoming inequities. Um, and And so with that, I would say, year to year, are we seeing the change we want to see? Are we building the ecosystem we want to build? So there's a system system indicators in terms of the quantity of seats, the sort of availability of pathway programs for our young people, the availability of work experience opportunities for our young people, the availability of um, soft skills, but, you know, just sort of tracking systems change in service of our young people's access to these opportunities and, and completion of these opportunities. And then on the direct student impact front, we set annual targets across the collaborative in terms of young people earning technical skills as measured by uh, earning an industry-based credential, completing meaningful work experience as measured by completing, and we have, we have specific definitions around meaningful work experience. And then um, we're working to really dig deeper into the, you know, quantifying uh, the completing of a soft skills, a meaningful soft skills experience. And there's overlap. You can imagine a really strong technical training program with a soft skills trained educator can be a meaningful soft skills experience. Um, And so we set annual targets to, you know, growing the number of young people who are completing those. And then there's a whole effort to gather the data uh, from across of all of our school partners um, and then also make sure that we're able to disaggregate those data. We want to make sure that young people are both getting equal access to those opportunities and are completing those opportunities at equal rates, uh, which is really where you're going to start to see equity. Derek, does anything else stand out to you in, in Kate's thinking there? When Kate mentions that the representation of students isn't what their representation would be in the general population, I think that needs to be, and their representation in pathways isn't what it would be in the general population. I think that needs to be addressed. I think when we think about, and the different dimensions of gender, of racial identity, um, of socioeconomic class, of English learning, uh, there are so many different dimensions to think about a person, and there are so many different ways of measuring those dimensions and then seeing those in the pathway. So I think that that's where I appreciate what Kate has said about very, very specific. And I would encourage and I would hope that others would have 
as they're thinking about their ecosystems. What are the specific things that we aren't seeing? What do we want to see? And what's that delta? What's the work in that that uh, space between what isn't and what should be? So there's a lot to get right here, and it feels like there's a lot at stake. Um, and the ramifications of whether we get it right or not will affect the lived experience of young people, but also affect communities, employers, and economies. So based on what you're seeing and understanding, and based on what you're learning um, about the state of the field and where it is and where it needs to be, Kate, what what changes on the policy front would support you to accelerate your work more quickly or more deeply to center equity in these conversations? So much of the ability to, to track this work does sit at the intersection of workforce, education, higher ed, um, different entities with different data systems, again, who speak different languages and are managed to different outcomes. And so um, there is policy work to be done. And I'd imagine this is common across many states that our intermediary partners work in, you know, where work needs to be done to get K-12 and higher ed and workforce and beyond data systems talking to each other so that we can really get to strong insights um, as to the value and the the impact of this work. Um, and then, of course, I would say just, you know, I think we Youth Force, for example, as part of some of our policy and legislative work, we we have where we, where we have been able to submit comments to propose things, we are in part saying, and you need to disaggregate this by subgroup, and you need to disaggregate this by population, and you need to make sure that this is inclusive of English learners, um, and you need to make sure this is inclusive of all diploma pathways. Um, and so I think it's one where policy is often being written for sort of a general, generic something. Policymakers are not often centering equity in their work. And so that's that's part of the work of all of us across the intermediaries is to to push in and, lean, uh, and you know, just sort of really advocate then that this, that this be, you know, sort of centered across the board and in all the legislation. Derek, any other insights that you can add to this when you when you look across the landscape? What do you see as from really promising practices that um, are worth some of the listeners going to look at and see what might make sense in your context? This work is place-based. It's it's nested in in cities and regions and communities and in state. And so I think we need to hold that constant as we think about policy change. Derek, anything coming to mind about um, other ideas that you think worth we're taking a look at. There's so much bubbling up that I think need to be celebrated. Yes, Youth Force knocking it out of the park. I think they are truly operating on all cylinders when it comes to intermediaries, taking the charge when it comes to data, intentionally about not just collecting the numbers, but numbers in terms of how that motivates equity. Thinking about Career Connect Washington and its legislated approach to building pathways, they've blazed a trail legislatively, and that there's an opportunity to do a lot of the the work on the ground and motivate different entities and braid funding and make sure that this is not just put into place but sustained but i think across the 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 community of practice this phase i think is is really an internal journey for a lot of the organizations thinking about their intermediary work and their role that they can play in disrupting the status quo and helping to maybe recenter equity and think about the direction for equity. Yeah, I hear a lot in in both of of your reflections about um, both removing barriers, but also advocating for the types of policies that will introduce new ways of working and ultimately these new narrative changes. Um, Kate, any any final thoughts? Final word for you today? 
two, two. One, we have not talked about working impact, which is a measurement platform that Youth Force took stewardship of uh, in late 2021. We brought it on from our partners at MHA Labs, and and uh, Working Impact is the soft skills measurement platform that we use to measure, get youth self-assessment on the building blocks and employer supervisor assessment. And there's also a youth program quality survey. So sort of Derek's points earlier about young people experiencing joy um, is, I think, really one that our youth program survey um, helps us measure. You know, would love to think with the community practice about how we could make it a shared resource more broadly. And then two, to the extent that there's anybody listening today who is early stage, one of my greatest regrets, if I could, if I, if, and it's, and this is, I don't, I don't want to be sort of get real in my feelings, but you know, Youth Force, if I could go back and do it again, um, I would have hired Youth Force's first data person in the first year of our existence. You know, we should have had somebody on the team in year one. And so I just, I think I have potentially given the advice to a couple of the more recent partners, but I really want to just sort of share it with everybody. Like, you know, get your data person on early because it, and it, and be prepared that their, their path will shift 10 times. But, you know, that you have somebody waking up every day just thinking about how are we going to gather data and center data to fuel our effort um, is, it is 100% worth it. Thanks for that reminder that this is not work that we can wait on. It's work that needs to be foundational in the design of our strategies and the establishment of our vision. Kate and Derek, um, this has been a really great conversation full of really awesome insights. Uh, Thank you both so much for taking the time to engage in this topic today. And I personally look forward to continuing to think and learn alongside you as we reimagine um, the ways that we go about collecting data and developing strategies that will ultimately better shape, um, advocate for, and evaluate policy and equity solutions. I appreciate you both. I appreciate the leadership you bring to this work and the points of view and the people that you both champion. Thank you so much. In today's episode, Kate and Derek brought into focus a number of ideas that stand out to me. For starters, data can and should be used as a form of connection and a tool for engagement and empowerment. I'm also thinking about how we need to lean into a stance of compassionate curiosity with the data. Where are the barriers? Where are the equity gaps? Where is the system breaking down? Ultimately, we have to use the answers to these questions to establish new ways of working together to tell a different story about young people, their aspirations, and how educators and employers can work together to support them to launch and thrive in a career. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to resources to learn more about the work Kate and Derek talked about today. And in our next episode, we are going to extend this conversation and hear from leaders in Washington State and Chicago about their innovative approaches to data and their thinking about its role in centering equity and access and outcomes. Thanks for listening to Building Equitable Pathways, brought to you by JFF. Together, we're driving transformation of the American workforce and education systems to achieve equitable economic advancement for all. To learn more about Building Equitable Pathways and our coalition of partners, visit us online at jff.org. And we want to hear from you and have you join the conversation. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. And tune in for our next episode. This is Kyle Hartung from JFF, signing off until next time.